Peace. You're tuned into the Edible Activist Podcast. I am your host and favorite edible activist, Melissa L. Jones. On this show, we feed you empowering narratives and perspectives from the voices of emerging Black people and people of color in food and agriculture who are stewarding the land, healing communities, and advocating for food justice and economic power across the globe. Our rich contributions and stories exemplify the spirit of activism in their own edible way. Let's get started. Hi, Dale. Hi. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. So good to have you. Yes, number three. And the other thing that I meant to mention as well, like, okay, so this is this is going to be an episode to talk more about the the training, um, the farmer training program, right, that three part um, Harmony Farm has. But if you all want to learn more about Gail, episode 52. Okay, this is not going to be the episode where we're going all in about Gail. But what I can tell you is that she's dynamic. She's amazing and has been extremely instrumental to um, D.C. and farming in D.C., like, so you have got to hear her story and how she has actually lifted up some initiatives in D.C., just making it possible not only for herself, but some other farmer and grower enthusiasts to be able to farm in the city, which is not easy. <laughs> and farm, getting land in D.C. is not easy, whether you're leasing it or trying to buy it, but also just like the, leg- the legislation around it, the policies around it. It's not easy. And Gil has has been a big force behind all of that. So I definitely encourage you all to tap back. Back into episode 52, The People's Farmer, Gail. So anyway, Gail, it's so great to see your face again. And um, she's been up since 6 a.m. <laughs> her and her staff are preparing some amazing boxes that I look forward to tomorrow. She gave me a sneak peek of what I'll receive. <laughs> so I'm super excited about that. Um, but Gail, we are here to talk about this, this wonderful farmer trainee program that you all have that you're actually just launching for the first time. And so when I saw this, even for myself, I was just like, oh, maybe I'll just quit my job and I'll just, (laughs) (laughs) why not? (laughs) The way this world is going, you know what? Anything goes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But no, seriously, I saw it. I just thought it would be an amazing opportunity to share more because we don't know. We don't know who's out there who may be, you know, interested in this opportunity. I could tell you just reading through the requirements, you know, I was um, just really appreciative because um, we, we chatted just briefly before this that, you know, applications for cohorts and trainings can be very intimidating. And I know that your intent has, to, uh, has been, you know, to create an easy application. And this is an opportunity that doesn't require like, a, like certifications or anything. It's like if you have the heart and if you are committed and you really want this, like at your core, this is something that you want like consider applying. So um, I'm going to be quiet for just a few moments because I'm, I'm going to let you talk about, you know, the, the farmer training um, program in D.C., um, but just really interested. So um, before we get into like all of the details, give us like a high level overview of what the training program is about, and then we'll break down some of the details and the requirements, you know, for our audience. Sure. Yeah. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. I hope uh Anyone who is watching now or later in and has any questions that I don't answer, please feel free to contact me. Um, so the hands-on farmer training program that we're launching this year in collaboration with the Black Dirt Food Collective and Juniper's Garden is hands-on, like capital H, hands-on. 
So this is very different from any other conversation program that you really see out there where, you, where they tell you like, this is how many hours you're gonna be in the classroom. We're gonna watch PowerPoint presentations. There's gonna be speakers. We'll do, you know, field trip visits. You'll build a business plan. You know, this is like, you get to come and work next to our staff. We're gonna weed, we're gonna get dirty, we're gonna harvest. You're gonna do everything hands-on that you would do if you were working at my vegetable farm. The only difference is you don't need to have experience ahead of time. That's awesome. Can we place the emphasis on capital H, hands-on? Yes. <laughs> hands-on opportunity in the field, in the dirt, literally, okay, growing vegetables. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's, I mean, for, you know, 10 years going into my 11th year now of running through Bar Harmony Farm, I have done small amounts of training with people who have been on staff or people who are part of our work care program where you come and just do three hours a week. Um, and I really try to emphasize and explain to people ahead of time, like, you will learn while you're next to you working. We're not going to sit down. I don't sit down. You might not see me sit down and take a water break. You might not see me sit down and eat lunch. You should take a water break. Um, but we, we keep it moving. <laughs> you know, this is like hands-on, feet moving. We're going to be in motion. I love that. I love that. So for those who don't know, I mean, three-part Harmony Farm, like it is an operation. It's two or three acres. You, you operate in two or three acres? It's two acres in D.C., but two that's acres. not all under completion. Got it. And so within those two acres, like, it's a lot. It's like you have a staff, you have volunteers. It is a whole production. Yeah, there's a lot going on on any given day. On any given day, some random thing might happen. Like mm -hmm. last week, the guy who installed our solar panel came to disconnect a battery that wasn't working and then went on up on the roof, he pulled down one of the panels and he said, did you know that there's a bullet hole in your solar panel? <laughs> Not a bullet hole? Oh gosh. <laughs> a bullet hole in this is the solar panel that we had promoted and fundraised for just a year and some change ago. Oh yeah. heavens. <laughs> Farming in the city. <laughs> he found me another panel, but yeah, we were, we were just, harvesting. I thought we were going to have a normal work day. He calls, says, can I stop by? And then before I know it, one of my solar panels is broken. Oh my goodness. So with that said, finding, coming across this opportunity, what made you, you know, want to launch this training opportunity or create this, or, you know, um, partner with, with some really amazing partners to be able to provide this opportunity, given, you know, again, you guys are really busy, yeah. you know, very busy farm, but creating the space and opportunity for others to do that. We understand there are entries, you know, there are barriers, you know, to entry for those, you know, just trying to find space in DC. Maybe you want something bigger than a plot, right? Um, again, we talked about the application process. Sometimes they can be long and daunting. You have to have all sorts of certifications and everything. Um, but what, um, aside from that, what are, what, what was like really one of your main reasons of, of opening this opportunity and creating this opportunity for those to yeah. tap in and get this I, experience? I feel like there were three main reasons. One was because we just really, really need it. The way that I wrote out the proposal, 
is really a culmination of conversations that the Black farmer community has been having in DC and Baltimore, the DMV, on and off over the last like 10, 12, even 15 years. Um, and just as like a side note, you know, 2020 was a big year. In the biggest way. <laughs> everyone in so many reasons. One of the interesting things that happened during that year is when people found out that Black Lives Matter was a movement, you know, people thought that it started in 2020. And it did not, for those who thought that it did. Yeah. But and then also at that same time, people also started seeing empty shelves in the grocery store. And they started wondering who's growing their food. And there was interesting moment that happened it was like a perfect storm like that racial justice conversation mixed with us learning what supply chain means people started wanting to buy from local farmers but people also wanted to start supporting black farmers and it was a really important moment for us to be like yeah you can read the statistics and say see how hard it is for black farmers you can learn about black land law you can go back in history and learn about some of our legacy farmers who still have not been done right by the USDA. And one of the things that happened during that time is a lot of people wanted to start throwing money at the problem. So all of these grant opportunities were opening up and some of the organizations were receiving money and not necessarily knowing what we were gonna do with it. And so we in the DMV, we have been having black caucus meetings Within the sustainable ag meeting spaces, we have been having our own sessions, you know, with our own room in with the hundreds of white farmers, right? We've been our own, we've our own space. So we have been having these conversations and building community over the decade and a half since I've been farming. And in that moment, Denzel Mitchell, who is now the executive director of the Farm Alliance of Baltimore, pulled together a board of folks to help him to guide him in figuring out how to disperse funds that were coming to his organization. And also at the same time, I was working at an organization that funded a special meeting for the Black Caucus outside of our normal meeting time. And it was a very important, both of those things happening at the same time where we started making Google Docs about what our demands were. And high up on that list was, where do we get training? Where do we get proper training? Mm. And I think one of the things that's hard to explain also is just that gap and how hard it is for folks of color, especially black folks to access the kind of training programs that are out there and that are available that other white farmers find more easily to partake in. Yes. And also at the same time, because those of us who own farms who are black, we don't have the kind of money to pay somebody as a staff person if they don't already know what to do. My business does not make enough money to pay someone who needs to learn. And so that was the first thing that happened is just like have it being involved in these conversations for, the, for a long time and knowing that that was a need. Um, and then also just every year me having to hire seasonal crew and reading these beautiful cover letters and resumes of people who are so passionate and really want to work hard and really want to get involved and me knowing that I don't have the payroll to cover them learning on yeah. my property. Yeah. 
So when somebody approached me about writing an $80,000 grant and they asked what I would do with the money, I said, I'm going to write a grant project to fill this gap, to, to do what the community has been asking for for all these years. Yes. You know what, Gail, this reminds me of, and you are very transparent about this. Like one thing I like about, love about Gail is that, listen, she's going to show up when she needs to show up. And if she don't need to show up, she's not showing up because Gail got vegetables to grow and she has families to feed. Okay. And she has a staff to take care of, but you have been very vocal in that this entire food movement has not been progressive. Like it hasn't. So, you know, and just going back to your point of like, you've been a part of these conversations for a very, 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 very long time. And I understand it's been frustrating for a lot of us that it hasn't been progressive. You know, people, they want to coordinate these committees and then they want to coordinate these conferences. And it's just like, what happens after the fact, right? What happens after the fact? So do you feel like in this moment with this grant or even when you were approached that this was this was a bit progressive? Like this is like moving the needle somewhere like now we're doing something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that this project came out of the Just Transition Power Force, which is led by the Emerald Cities Collaborative, which is part of the NAACP Environmental Committee. I don't know the exact, I should know the exact word, but that's okay. <laughs> um, it's some environmental committee from the NAACP. And it's actually one of, also one of my CSA members that worked on this process. Nice. And to give credit to the funder, they went through a multi-year process to bring all of their grant readers up to speed to understand what a just transition looked like before they even solicited grant applications. And even just going through the process and then afterwards receiving the grant and being on a Zoom call with the other organizations who are all so amazing, right? Like this is also an opportunity to see what amazing projects are happening all over the country um, in BIPOC communities on J issues. Um, Yeah, I mean, we're the inaugural cohort of this funding, you know, uh, program. And hope we do a good job and they keep on doing it because one year for what Street Bar Harmony Farm is trying to do isn't enough. And just from hearing what the other projects are, yeah, we have a many decade to get up to where we need to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk through some of the requirements, um, if, if that's okay. Yeah. Again, I'm going to, you know, listen, if you are, if you're listening and you are a farmer or garden enthusiast, this is something, this has been a dream of yours. Listen, I want, listen, I want to be a DJ. Okay. So <laughs> like that's in my dream where I want to be a DJ. Okay. So if you want to be a farmer, tap in, listen, because this really is a dynamic opportunity. Um, and, you know, I'm just, again, I'm just excited for you to share the details and tell a friend. We don't know who we may be reaching. So we want to diversify really in terms of like skill sets and where backgrounds, you know, I know that we, we're prioritizing black applicants, if if that's my understanding, Um, but really want to diversify like backgrounds of folks who have an interest in this work and, and actually want it. So as you're listening to this, like, Tell a friend, y'all. So, um, but I, again, I'll step back, but I definitely just want you to talk through some of those requirements um, for, for, the, for, for the application. Sure. I mean, well, one of the requirements is that you have to want to do this. It is very hard, hard work, and we don't go home when there's a little bit of rain. <laughs> <laughs> we mostly just go home when there's thunder and lightning. Okay. <laughs> 
So, um, torrential downpours is part of the game. All right, y'all. I always have. I always have a task in my back pocket that we can do under the under the pavilion if it's suffering. <laughs> no, there's too much work to do to just go home when it's bad weather. Mm-hmm. You have to be ready to be outside all the time. Um, you have to come. You have to exercise appropriate self care when you're working at a farm because being ready to do the work starts the night before when you go to bed at the right time. It begins when you show up hydrated. It shows up when you are cooking nutritious meals for yourself from the food that we grow and bringing that for your lunch instead of eating something that maybe is going to make you want to take a nap after lunchtime. These are all of the kinds of things you know you need to be aware of. And it doesn't sound like the first thing that you might want to mention. You might be like, oh, you need to be able to lift 50 pounds. You know, some people might say like, oh, you need to be able to be this strong or this whatever. And no, I think we can lift the bin together, first of all. I think we all should be doing this still when we're 60. And that means not lifting something that's 50 pounds by yourself. Absolutely. Um, But you do need to be mindful of making sure that you're showing up ready to work and that you can do it day after day and even understanding what to do when it becomes 90 degrees. Um, You have to be available to to do the work um, and understand that our work is seasonal. So in March, we might start at 10 a.m., but in July and August, we start at 6 a.m. Because my goal is to have everybody out of there as soon as possible. Like if it's 91, 92 degrees, I'm starting to look at my clock so I can send everybody home. Yeah. So you have to, waking up at five in the morning is something that would be too hard for you to do. Then this might not be the job for you. <laughs> you have to, you have to be ready to live with, to live in harmony with the sun, mm-hmm. to be honest. Wow. Yes. In harmony. Yes. That in harmony. Wow. And then, you know, you, we're, we're people doing a hard job and sometimes we listen with our earbuds and we do a task by ourselves, but sometimes we're all weeding together. So you have to be a good coworker to the people who are around, whether you're on staff or whether you're a volunteer, it's really important to me that everybody is bringing um, their whole selves to create a positive environment. So that's why I try to also be selective about who is coming onto this space. Yeah. I'm interested in people doing this program who want to be part of building within the community. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we're doing a collaboration with Universe Garden and the Black Grip Friend Collective. And we are in the process of building a Black Agrarian Corridor on Croom Road in Brandywine. Whoa. So trainees will have an opportunity to work with Samaria Marley, who is an herbalist and has her own apothecary out of Universe Garden. Shout out. You will get to learn from Jim Snipstall, who is the co-owner of Earthbound. And then the co-manager of Three Part Harmony Farms, um, Randy Wayne's site is um, Daryl Graham. And he raises chickens, among his other many gifts. And yes. has also been, he's also been a plus on your show. Yes, he has. another. They're actually all Samaria, Daryl alums, all. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So this isn't just, you know... And actually, let me, I want to stick back to requirements, but I also want you to speak to why you felt it was important not to have like super strict requirements in terms of like 
having like a, you know, a farming or gardening like certification um, and just really speaking to that. And again, um, you just really wanting that and like why that's important for you, because you easily could have put those requirements up. And many folks do like when these opportunities do come along, like there are some can be some heavy restrictions around, you know, your skill set or your background or, you know, what what have you so I just you know if you can just speak to that a bit because I that's more that's that's comforting that can be comforting to to some folks so we still want you to want to do this but it is comforting so I mean because first of all we have been waiting a long time for an opportunity like this um just in the first day that I sent out the link on Instagram for people to apply to the program I got text messages from two different black farmers to say thank you wow we need this to start building up a cohort of people who want to be doing this work with us. And there are not enough opportunities for that. If I wanted to have somebody come onto my property and have two years experience, I would have just hired them as a staff person. Yeah. This is like a very specific intentional program designed to let people do, like to be honest, what I did when I started in 2005, you know, and, and I had a very specific economic situation why I was able to start as a volunteer and then start, you know, working it for $8 an hour at a farm in Maryland, you know, um, and uh, cut my teeth learning how to grow it in a vegetable farm. I didn't have any kids. I had paid off my student loans. Like, there were so many reasons why I was able to do that. And I just want to be able to offer that to more people. And I think that's the right thing to do. That is awesome. That is so awesome. And um, this is more and you speak to this a bit, you know, on the the, you know, on the application and your website of, okay, this isn't just growing vegetables or vegetable production, you know, like this is this is operating a business like operate running a business. Yes, it's running a farm, but a farm is a business. Yeah, operate a business. Yeah, and I think also that's another reason why there are requirements listed because I think that it's also important for people to understand that if you can get over the hump of being able to be outside all the time, I mean, you could do indoor growing too, but the kind of thing you're going to learn with me is being outside because that's what I do. Um, But just to understand that what you have on your resume and the experience that you did before you came to work with us is totally relevant and very important. Because yes. growing vegetables is the easiest part of my job. Ooh, that sounds like a t-shirt, Gail. <laughs> if all I had to do was, was grow vegetables, I would be out at, you know, nine to five every day. <laughs> I would never have to come home and send emails. I would never have to deal with any of the, you know, marketing and financial stuff. I would never have to deal with the FedEx truck that doesn't show up at 5 p.m. So I'm <laughs> with my plans, okay. Um, no, you, you know, you have to be quick on your feet and you have to draw from what you did before. You know, like before on your show, I mentioned I used to be in policy advocacy. Mm-hmm. What happens when I find a land that I want to start a farm on in DC and I need to start a policy advocacy campaign so that I can get my first lease? That has nothing to do with growing vegetables. And I'm, every, I'm just so glad you said that. And I think every single person who's coming into this training program, you have your own five gifts that you are going to bring to this. And I don't want to tell you what it is. Whatever it is, that's what we want. Yes. 
Oh, I'm so, I wish more people had that same thought process. (laughs) (laughs) What did my fifth grade math have to do with this job? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) And I also think too, because like maybe you're not good at something and you can do it communally with other people who are good at that thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing together. One one thing too that I I would love for you to speak to is that you have really created a super dynamic and safe and respectable space at your farm that you you do not play about and should not. And I I know that is (laughs) extremely important for anyone, you know, who is a part of, you know, the, the three PH family yeah, And so I think it's important for applicants to know that too. And like when they're stepping into your space, like you said, even before you go there the night before, you know, that's night's rest and, you know, nutritious breakfast. But when you're stepping onto your farm, you know, what are some of those expectations or what, what, what do they need to, to um, ground themselves in or just be aware of in terms of the space too, because there are diversity of, of staff at the farm and we have to be very um, respectful and, yeah. you know, you have an inclusive space, which yeah. is amazing. So I just want you to speak to that, too, because that's a part of your mission. That is that is embedded at the farm. Yeah. I mean, I do a welcoming every time a new person comes and just, you know, the short version is this is a hateful space. Like you, you walk through those gates, you cross the threshold and you come into this space and we respect everybody, every plant, every animal every bug, if you don't know if it's a bad bug, you kill it, you know, and you know for sure. Um, and I think, you know, back 10 years ago when I was starting, I think I used to have to be a little bit more explicit. Like, you don't get to say what somebody's gender pronoun is. You have to, you know, whatever they tell you, that's what you say. I think it's a little bit now more common for people yeah. to understand that and I don't have to explain it. Um, but, you know, these are the kinds of things like no homophobia, no racism, no hate. That's it. We're going to just create a peaceful environment and grow food for people. Because the veg- we were talking about this before when we were doing this much. The vegetables are taking up that energy. Mm-hmm. And we're feeding people. Many times we're feeding pregnant women. We're feeding unborn children. We need to be putting out that energy that is positive. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Because when I go pick up my CSA box every other Tuesday, okay, I need happy vegetables, happy potatoes. <laughs> so Gail gave me a little sneak peek. Okay, I'm getting some potatoes and some okra. And y'all know this little country girl at heart. Okay, super excited about all of that. <laughs> Gail, what are the applications do? I know we are we're working on a, a short um, time frame between now and the application date. But let's just speak to that again. If you if this is if this has been a calling of yours um, or if you know a friend or a friend or a family, someone like spread the word. This is a really great opportunity. And um, I mean, sad. I mean, as we're speaking to, you know, in this interview, it's it's needed. So it's rare. Yeah. 
it's it's not you're not just going to come across these programs all the time. Um, and so which is the reason why, you know, Gail and, and her team are, you know, are launching this. But it, it really is a, a, a dynamic opportunity that if you just know someone who has been talking about this for quite some time and, you know, there may be some challenges or they just didn't know where to go. Like really like, you know, share share this video after after we're done and the application will actually drop the application link in the chat so that you all can share out. Um, so, so yeah, let's let, let them know when, when the application is due, because we want some of y'all to hop on this. Yeah. Technically the deadline is August 12th, which I think is this Friday. And, um, we're going to start zoom interviews this week with the folks who've already sent the applications and then hopefully make our decision. I, I think I said the end of August. Okay. I'm hoping to start some onboarding in September. And then we'll be working September, October, November, do some light work in the winter time, but then come back and do a full season together in 2023. Lots in store. This Lots is, in store. This is the first time, and what do I know? Maybe I missed something important when I was writing the design of the program. If you think the timing is off for you, if you want to add something, I think on the Google form at the end, there's an the comment section to tell me something. If you have a suggestion, if you find that you will apply, but there's one part that doesn't work for you, just let me know. We, we want to know who is out there who's interested. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm open to being flexible. And you know, it's like the love of grants, right? <laughs> All that goes into it. And it's just, you know, there's so much content that context that needs to go into a grant, but I'm sure it was beautifully written and you all made it this far and you've, you've gotten it. And so now you're able to share like this wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And the priority is, ex is extended to black applicants. Is that, is that correct, Gail? Yeah, I think there will be other folks who are out there, indigenous folks, other BIPOC folks who want to apply and we definitely welcome that. Um, but I'm certainly trying to create an opportunity for people who identify as black. Yes. So priority. The program, I know, and I, I know I'm like, I'm about to be leaps and bounds ahead, but I have to, right? So you have this, so you've launched this cohort. You have your three trainees. Who knows? One of them might be me. I'm just joking. <laughs> and you're, and you look back and you're reflecting like what, I guess what are you what are your you know what are your your desires you know uh, or the desired outcomes and whether that is you know whatever you're visualizing you know what the end of this would mean for the cohort the the trainees that are going through this cohort but like what are the desired outcomes for it could either be for you personally or for the farm <laughs> as a whole. Yeah, that's a good question. I hope for me personally, it helps me to become a better manager. Um, I have a spreadsheet that I've been intending to use for many years, but never actually did to help folks who work at the farm track their success in achieving certain, you know, points within learning how to farm. So now I have to do that, right? I have to report on this. So I have to say like, harvesting and weeding and all of these things, how did you do? And, and also it'll give me an opportunity to become hopefully a better manager and a better teacher. I hope that at least one person might want to keep working with us in 2024. I'm trying to be very transparent when there is not enough for you to go on and start your own farm. I, you say that on the website. Yeah. You say that. 
I spent five years at the same farm before I wrote a business plan. You cannot learn everything you need to know in one season unless you grew up on a farm or you have some other prior experience. So I would love to have somebody who wants to continue on with us and maybe even see them develop their own enterprise and want to become part of this black agrarian corridor that we're building. There's still room for people who want to do fruits or, you know, somebody to come in and we can kind of support them in creating their own business in this land that we're stewarding. Um, that would that would be really great. And then also, I hope that we do such a great job that we keep getting funding to keep doing this moving yes. forward. Yes. It, it could be a minimum of 10 years of training folks before we start to see a real impact. That's awesome. That's so awesome. I know before I wrap up, because I actually have one concluding, concluding question before we wrap up the show, um, something that you had said earlier um, in terms of like doing the work together and, you know, not, um, you, you know, you shouldn't be picking up a 50 pound of something by yourself. And um, I'm just curious of your thoughts around, you know, as, as folks age in farming, you know, just like your, your general. And I know that, you know, we, the farmers are in general are just peeling off, right? Yeah. We need more black farmers, but black farmers have peeled off for, you know, since forever, um, but really like your true genuine thoughts on being able to sustain this work um, as the generation gets older and then having programs like this, you know, and hopefully being able to have more. And we don't know the age range. And that's the other thing. There are no age requirements. Now that I'm, there are no age requirements no. at all. At all. But I am just interested in just like your general thoughts. I mean, as you, you've been doing this work for quite some time, even for your own personal self, do you ever just find yourself sitting there like, y'all, yeah, I don't know how old you are, okay? But I know you, 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 you're you young, okay? Um, <laughs> I wouldn't just, have that. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think like 20 years down the line, this is something that you still want to be doing and you feel like you will be doing? Yeah, I think for me personally, I am thinking about how I'm gonna be doing this in the future. Um, and that means choosing parts of the business that are less physically strenuous, especially on your back. That's a big thing. I mean, we might be lifting heavy bins together, but it still, it takes a toll on your back. Um, so, you know, people say work smart, not hard. And in farming, that means having access to capital to be able to buy the proper tools and machines that you need to be able to, for example, today I spent two and a half hours digging potatoes by hand with a digging fork because we don't have a potato digger. But if we did, then we would hook up the thing with a tractor and then the thing would dig up the potatoes and I wouldn't have had to do that. And you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm with you. <laughs> I hope that when I'm in my 50s, I'm going to have that potato digger. And that would be really nice to be able to just do that on the tractor instead of be doing it by hand. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting, like in organic farming, especially there's this romanticization of doing something that's old in a lot of ways. Like we want to go back to before they used chemicals. But there's also, you know, we are very into new technology. We're into trying new things all the time. We're into buying silage tarps. We're into doing all of these things that make our lives easier. 
So while we may not opt to buy something chemical that's going to be harmful to the environment, we totally are on board with doing something that we can put down to kill the weeds instead of having to spend 10 hours pulling them ourselves. Mm. If we can create that for the people who are coming up and opening up this opportunity for people to come into farming and have it not be as backbreaking as maybe it used to be, that will be a good thing. But I just think also at the end of the day, this is physically demanding work and there's no getting around it. You know, we're working long hours on our feet. It's hard work. I can't do anything about that. Yeah. Do you believe or do you feel that small scale farmers will ever see the funding that they need to really operate in the capacity that you just spoke to? I don't know if I have the brain to think that way. (laughs) I really just think realistically we need to understand and grasp that living on a full-time farmer's salary might just not be the way of the future. Yeah. You know, if we are farming part-time, and in the hot parts of the day, we have this value-added enterprise where we are making something else that we are selling in our farm store right. for income, or we're doing this other kind of thing. I just think that we need to normalize and get used to the idea of like farmers doing many different things. Mm-hmm. Because you know how how long can I work for eighty dollars a week like this? There's a time stamp on that. And actually, my sister actually had a great question just speaking to that she was like do you have any dual farmers so i guess nine to fivers in rookie farmers i guess they have are since are you asking are there any staff that work for you that have nine to fives and also farm oh. on the side as well or farm part-time or whatever whatever part whatever <laughs> that's part-time side time um do you yeah. have i would say that's almost 100 percent of the people who've worked at the farm including myself until last october I started this farm having a job and I did not quit my job until last year. Do y'all hear that? Do y'all hear that commitment? That's the first thing that I tell somebody that wants to get into this, especially if they have a good job and they can work from home. Cause mm-hmm. this is the era of like, you get paid while you work at home. Do not quit that job. <laughs> Tip of the not- day. <laughs> Do not quit your job. It takes a long time to be able to get to a point until you can quit your job. And then on top, I mean, you're in D.C., right? You're in D.C. And if you live in D.C., if you live anywhere in this metro area, everything's expensive. So mostly rent. Yeah, mostly. Don't even get me started. Mostly rent. Mostly rent. So everyone that has worked at the farm, we do it because we love it. Yeah. on, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, we go to other jobs where we make more money. And on the other days, we come together, we home out, we get to play in the dirt and do what we love. And it's a good balance. And also because, you know, our, our work is seasonal. So in the wintertime, there's no paid work at the farm. Yes. So it's important to have a job you can go to in December and January because in November, you're too tired to look for a new job. Yes. Wow. Commitment. I encourage everyone. Thank your thank your local farmer. Thank you, Gail. It like the the work does not. I mean, 
because I'm in this space and I have some depth, I have some understanding, right? I'm not out in the field. I am not on the farm. I am not. Um, but I am eternally grateful because this work is extremely hard and you all are out there because you love this work. And the trainees who are going to be a part of this cohort are going to take part because they like you, like you said, you have to love this work. And I could not imagine not having my CSA every other week, having access to, and let me just say, it is, it is a privilege for me to be able to do that too. Just per, yeah. like, I have to say that it is, a, I'm, it's a privilege. We all have privileges, you yeah. know, like not everyone can afford to do that. Let's just also say that too. Yeah. Um, and that's just not speaking, you know, directly to like the cost of your, your, like, it's just like their things are just crazy expensive, but also, mm-hmm. Because of that, because of inflation and how crazy things like we we really do need our local farmers and we need more farmers and we need more black farmers because there are, you know, these big industrial farms, you know, white owned farms like they are. That's where a lot of the money is going and that's where a lot of our produce comes from. And we really need to support our local farms and even some of the small, even some of the smaller, I'm going to put in quotes, like small scale operations, you know, who are um, owned and operated, you know, by our white counterparts, you know, like we don't see, we're not seeing the funding and the opportunities like our white counterparts. So um, this is, I hope one of the one one of my last questions that I wanted to ask, and we kind of already spoke to this, is like, do you see you do you see this as a solution, you know, to creating, and you know, we we kind of just at you answered that throughout the the interview, but as a solution to black farmers really shepherding, you know, this movement, this space, and feeding our community and connecting back to the land. Yeah, I think this is part of the solution. I think one of the important things to remember is that maybe people will do something like this and find out that it's not for them. That is very true. I think the most important part is that we have options and that we have equal opportunity to learn if if we want to keep doing this or not. Just like all of the other white folks out there don't get a chance to do it while they're in college or, you know, they take a gap year or do all of these things that their family's health allows them to do. Like, why can't we just try something? Right. 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 Dale, this has been awesome. It's an honor. First of all, first of all I think y'all need to know, like I said, Gail is busy. And the fact that she even set aside some time for me on this show Knowing that she has a whole CSA going out tomorrow, I am super honored, but I knew that I wanted to jump on here because, again, um, I didn't want this opportunity to be missed by anyone who may be tuning in. Um, As I said before, share this information with a friend. Applications are due this Friday, August 12th, 11.59 p.m., okay? Um, And so we have talked through some of the requirements. And um, again, if you know someone who's, this has been their heart's desire, someone who just really wants it, 
or, you know, they someone who's seeking radical change and they want to feed their community, do for their community and be a part of a family. I think this really is a, a, a great way to do so. Um, so thank you so much for sharing these details. I really appreciate it. One edible act, even if it's filling out this application, but one edible act, Gail, that anyone can do after watching this show. I would say make a seasonal meal this week. It doesn't have to come from the farmer's market, but just tap into knowing what is growing where you live right now. And if it's in the DMV, it's going to be zucchini, some cucumbers, some potatoes, eggplant, okra, peppers, maybe you get some peaches, something, something that's like available from the farmers around here and make a big meal out of it. If y'all want some cucumbers, holla at me because shout out to my sister who literally over a year ago ate a cucumber and she like tossed the seeds out in front of my parents' house. Now there is abundance of freaking cucumbers. My mother is pulling cucumbers by the droves. I can't eat another cucumber salad, y'all. I am cucumbered out. I'm about to start pickling these bad boys, all right? Oh, I need a good pickling if, recipe. If you're driving down the road and you see some guys from North Carolina, South Carolina with watermelons in the back of their truck, please pull over and buy some watermelons. Yes. 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 And yes. And there's nothing like a good summertime watermelon, y'all, and a local watermelon. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in, Gail. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. You can catch today's episode on iTunes, Spotify, and Simplecast. And be sure to follow us at Food Talks in Color. That's just the letter N on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And did you know we are on Patreon? This is a way for you to take action and support our mission of amplifying BIPOC voices on the Edible Activist podcast. Visit patreon.com backslash Food Talks in Color to learn more peace and blessings. And remember, in the great words of Baba Tariq Adunu, there is no culture without agriculture.